This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project. Teachers teaching teachers. Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project as we come to the end of the summer. I am so excited to share one more, one more episode in partnership with Octella, an episode from the Speaking and Listening podcast, which I used to do for the Ohio Council of Teachers of English Language Arts. And this interview was one of my favorites, and I can't wait to share it with you, but first, a poem. This one is called Modern Medicine, and it's by a poet named Randy Fulton. Went in for therapy, left with a prescription. When I was eight years old, I told my sister I had a headache, so she stomped my foot and said, that ought to take your mind off things for a while. And ain't that modern medicine? Treat the afflicted with a new kind of affliction. Okay, let's get to it. A few years ago, I interviewed Tanny McGregor. She was posting lots of these things called sketch notes. I mean, I know that you know about them now, but back then it felt so new to me. And she was posting them on Twitter, and I was just so fascinated by the work she was doing. And I knew that she was starting to turn this into a book, and I would loved her previous works on exploring genres and slowing down with wordless picture books and making comprehension, connections, and metacognitions. Like, I loved her previous work, is what I'm trying to say. So I interviewed her, and we talked about a lot of the ideas that would go on to become her book, Ink and Ideas, which you all know and love, I'm sure. And if you don't already know and love it, check out the show notes. I know I don't usually say that until the end of the podcast, but be sure to check out Tanny McGregor's book, Ink and Ideas. It's a revolutionary take on helping students make meaning out of content that they're taking in and making it so that it really sticks with them in ways that they can use later and not just regurgitate for some tests, you know, the drill. Anyway, here it is, my interview with Tanny McGregor. about pushing kids and accelerating and, you know, gosh, what we do in in kindergarten, well, that used to be first grade and and compacting curriculum and all of that. And it just, sometimes I just feel like, gosh, it's spinning out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, And how much power I know is there when you can slow yourself down. So I think about just me with a piece of text, me with a great book, you know, so I'm planning to finish a great book this weekend, probably going to be snowed in. It's going to be perfect. <laughs> Can't wait. Um, but, but the, the pleasure and the comprehension that comes from just taking a deep breath and really dwelling for a while. So I, I, I started thinking about how I don't hear words like that. I don't hear about dwelling in text or now in images or, um, the word deceleration, like you hardly ever hear that word, mm-hmm. um, associated with, 
with uh, education. Um, so I know it's that way for me when reading and really in just so many aspects of life, like if we can find ways to just be there right in the moment and really merge our thinking in in the moment. I know there's probably reflection later on, but there's something to be said for for feeling the feelings and thinking the thoughts you have right now and realizing, you know, um, how how you're feeling and reacting to, to viewing or reading in the moment. So I think whatever it is that we want kids to do in text, I just have begin, you know, started to explore that we can maybe do those same things with images, that all of the strategies and skills that we want kids to use in text, that we can practice those things in a non-threatening, pleasurable way with uh, reading images. And it's, it's not like we're taking a step back when we're doing that. It's like, really, wow, it's, it's the kind of reading that kids are doing in their everyday lives anyway, mm-hmm. all day long. Um, I think maybe it's in genre connections where I wrote about how Louise Story, who writes for the New York Times, um, you know, states that we, living in like a suburban area, it's likely that we're will come across like 5,000 images in a, in a day. Um, so when I hear things like that, I'm, you know, overwhelmed, but then I start thinking about how much image reading our kids are doing already. I don't know that we or our students are really so good at the deceleration part. Uh, I think we all have a lot to learn about that. Um, but I think there's a lot we can do with kids in the classroom to, um, help them start to see the benefits from decelerating and really being an observer and Mm -hmm. noticing what we notice. Um, So I think pictures and photographs and, you know, um, looking at sculpture and looking at concrete objects, all of those kinds of opportunities can help boost the same kinds of thinking that we use in a piece of text. I've always had quite the commute from mm-hmm. the school district where I work, um, and um, it's really been an opportunity, I think, for reflection. But a lot of those drives on the way home, I just start to think about what is it that made today successful or a certain lesson successful, and why did that same lesson, you know, in a classroom next door didn't didn't quite feel like it touch the hearts of the kids like the Mm. first one did and so many times the factor that I think contributed to success was my ability to um, stay calm in the middle of a lesson and not let urgency get the best of me like looking at the minutes go by on the clock or um, feeling like gosh I got to get through this because we've got something else coming up soon Um, but just really sort of taking control of the pace of the lesson and and helping the kids to also feel that sort of, as author Debbie Miller says, like that feeling of, of um, sort of unending time. Mm. Uh, and we rarely experience that, I think, together with our students. Yeah. So I think it's just, you know, it's one of those things over time that I've thought more about. There was an article that really helped me think more about this. It's called The Power of Patience. And, and it was written by uh, Jennifer Roberts, and she um, is a, an art history professor, and in her article, she talks a lot about just this whole um, powerful experience of claiming time and just 
forcing ourselves to slow down and really, um, and she talks specifically about images, um, just to really look at an image and reread an image, just like we'd reread text. So I, I still, I think it's so intriguing and I have so much more to learn. Um, there was also an article that I read just in a local community journal. I live in Cincinnati, and um, it was written by a weekly contributor who would just write little editorials, and he happened to be a priest, a local priest. Mm. Um, and I always sort of read that paper just to see what was going on in our community and, you know, if there are any kids I know and the families and stuff like that. Anyway, he had um, a particular article, um, and I kept it for a long time. I clipped it out of the paper, and it was just all about how um, the, the enemy that we have to face with knowing ourselves better and learning about the world is speed that, you know, going through things at breakneck speed, like there's nothing good that can come of that. And he wasn't talking about the classroom or anything, but it seemed to me to be everything about the classroom. Um, so I, I say all of this and gosh, it might sound like I've got a good handle on <laughs> um, slowing down always in my teaching, but I can tell you that I'll be in a classroom next week and I'll be, fighting this battle, this inner battle right there. Um, So I think it's, it's just in general about instruction, about decelerating, but it's also thinking about that with the kinds of things that we do with students, whether it be viewing images or observing objects or creating or right there in a piece of, you know, complex text. So I'm trying to drill down into your process and what I'm kind of, what I think I'm hearing is, a lot of teachers that I've talked to, there's like a transformational moment and either it's traumatic or it's like they read something or saw someone speak and it changed them. Or maybe sometimes it's both. But it sounds like for you, it's more of like every day you, you are really reflective. You're metacognitive, right? And you are, it, especially in the capacity that you're in now, it sounds like you are, you zoom out. Instead, of, like, as a teacher, one of my, whenever I'm having a bad series of lessons, it's because um, I have that tunnel vision and I'm only seeing what's in front of me. But it sounds like you zoom out and you're trying to see the big picture of um, what works, what could work. And on top of that, you have that uh, what thing that I think that a lot of good teachers have called, uh, I think I'm just going to call it a school schema. It's a school <laughs> schema and... Every, and it's a magnetic schema, and anything and everything could become a lesson or a, a, a teaching idea. Um, anything <laughs> yeah. could could get sucked into the tractor beam at any moment. Is that is that yeah, accurate, it's, you it's think? A, it's accurate, and it's a blessing and a curse, don't you think? <laughs> oh, amen. It drives my so, wife crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think that's true, and, you know, if I, I, I think it's... I think it's more of a good thing, um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for those times that I wake up in the middle of the night and have an idea, and it changes yes. what I'm going to do the next day. Or, you know, I'm on my way to a school and running late, and the plan that I thought sounded so good yesterday just all of a sudden doesn't seem like it's a good idea for whatever reason, and mm-hmm. being open to, you know, those those creative moments where something else just takes over in your brain. Um, I think just 
I don't know. The the more often you sort of let yourself just be open to that, I mm-hmm. think you develop a, a, a greater um, tendency to just, just sort of follow that part of you that's not really, I don't know what it's called, but it's really not a thinking part almost, but it's what you're saying. It's sort of like your, your teacher self mm-hmm. that just, uh, I think for that we were almost born with because this is a calling what we do yeah it's not something we do it's something that you are right yeah yeah i agree and and it's really cool to hear you talking about your process um as an image reader and how that's spilled over into how we teach we can teach kids it reminds me of oh i'm gonna get it wrong but one of the people who wrote an essay in the the teacher you want to be it's one of my favorite books of all time I want to say it was Ellen Oliver Keene. She wrote yeah. about how we need to take more time to appreciate aesthetics <laughs> in the classroom. And it, and that what you're saying about just dwelling with an image and letting it be pleasurable and not having to rush and turn it into painful kinds of work. <laughs> I think that that, yeah. that kind of work help, opens up people in the classroom to other things that might be beautiful. So I think it, I mean, I think it's really awesome work. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm just gushing and saying it's awesome work. I think it is too. I think it is too. And I think it's just the beginning. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's drill into sketchnoting. Um, okay. I was, um, on, on Monday we had a snow day and I, uh, something popped up in my Twitter feed about, um, John Hattie had a 2017 update to his meta-analysis work. You know, it's pretty famous in the teaching field. Yeah, right. And I thought of you a lot as I was reading through it. Here, the th- like, so basically, uh, the key says it, it, the effect size, the strength of of a and the effect that a teaching strategy or something uh, can have ranges on his list from negative 0.9. That's if you have ADHD. Negative 0.49 is if you're suffering from boredom in a classroom. All the way up to 1.62. So basically what they're saying is if, it's, if the effect size is over a plus one, that's a super strong effect. If it's over 0.4, that's an amazing effect. And so what you're really looking for is anything between 0.4 and 1.62. I don't know if you're still following me because that was a lot of numbers. but. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so anything over 0.4 is really good. Creativity and achievement, 0.4. Note-taking, 0.5. Summarizing in a graphical way, 0.73. Concept mapping, 0.64. Strategies to integrate with schema, 0.93. Metacognition, 0.6. Self-monitoring, 0.58. These are all really strong things. Um, Really, They have a strong effect. Because he says that Anything you do that gets research is going to have a positive effect, but how much of a positive effect? All of these things have a really strong positive effect, and all of these are things that I think connect really well with the work you're doing with sketchnoting. Yeah, I, I mean, you just described it, really. It's like, just in you saying that, I just feel like saying, well, there we have it. <laughs> there you have it. You so know? I have so. a question. I wasn't just going to tell you a bunch of information and answer it for you. I do have a question. My question is, why do you think it's so effective? Mm-hmm. Well, I can answer your question this way. Um, two summers ago, um, 
some of Da Vinci's notebooks mm-hmm. came to the Cincinnati um, Museum Center. And I went down that summer, and they're, you know, under under glass, but you can get up close and look at the pages. And all of the pages that were visible um, were just, to me, um, a whole big um, collection of what we might look at as like traditional annotation with just like words and phrases and of course he you know does all that writing backwards and stuff like Mm -hmm. that too but symbols and labeled diagrams and you know arrows and just all of these features and his thinking is just all over the place so um after that it was maybe a month later or something and i i was still had started already working on this sketch noting project for Heinemann. Um, and I started just digging into, well, all right, so maybe he thought that way, but is it, is it common? Is it, mm-hmm. or do other scientists, you know, keep notebooks that look that way? And what about artists and musicians and what about mathematicians? And so one of the things I've been doing in my book is just, um, add, I keep adding to this collection of people, you know, down through the ages, and we have a lot of contemporaries now who, either in a digital way or in notebooks, um, keep sketch-noted versions of what they're curious about or what they've been reading about or reflections about what they've been learning. Um, and I just think, well, so... If, you know, brilliant people in all walks of life down through time have made their thinking visible this way, um, then why aren't we offering opportunities up, you know, for our students now to think that way? Like, that just seems like such a disconnect to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's like a roundabout way of answering your question, because I, I, I'm just saying that, like, we have just so much evidence right in front of us um pages like jane goodall for example like she's just taken hundreds of thousands of pages of notes and they're from what i understand being archived i don't know if the project's finished at duke um so we've got all of these um notebooks full of people's thinking to look at and it's obvious that these are people who've changed the world and made things better for us um so we know it works we know it works just from so much evidence that we have um i think for i'm gonna go now from like a really global answer to just like a student i'll talk about a boy who i met as a seventh grader some of his work will appear in my book um a kid who um one of those kids who rarely made eye contact with you in the middle of a lesson, um, you know, probably probably not sitting in the chair as it was designed to be used <laughs> most yeah, of the time. Yeah. He's with you. Yeah, I know um, him. A kid who you're just constantly curious about, like, you know, is he listening? You know, where is he with this? And it's hard to gauge, you know, how much is he's paying attention or whatever. And, and so he... Um, along with his teacher, who was a new teacher, and that's why I ended up working in her classroom. I was um, in there just trying some new things with her. We decided to show the class some examples of what sketchnoting could be and give them some opportunities um, as a choice um, just during read-aloud time to try out some sketchnoting. And we didn't really have 
expectations, just we wanted to offer it up as a viable option for responding to kids. And this particular kid, um, his very first attempt in his notebook just... I had no words when I looked at it. Mm. The comprehension was so deep. He, he knew how to show in quick little symbols and he chose colors intentionally and like just sort of a, sort of like a mind mapping kind of Mm -hmm. um, product in that connections were really obvious all over the page. Um, But it, it was like, it was beautiful. And so I saw it after class and it was too late to talk with them. Um, I talked with his grandmother that evening and just, you know, told her about what happened. And she was so happy to hear it, of course. And I asked if I could speak with him the next day. So I pulled him out of class for just a few minutes and reminded him about what happened yesterday and like brought his notebook up and we were looking at what he did. And and I asked him, so like, what did it feel like for you to show your thinking this way? And he, this is a seventh grade kid and he doesn't know me very well or anything, (laughs) but he looked right up at me and his eyes met mine and he said, this is a dream come true. Uh And I know there are kids in every classroom who are waiting for opportunities like that. I was one of those kids who constantly doodling and drawing on my paper, have a hard time paying attention, um, not in ways that, and, you know, gosh, when I was a kid, it wouldn't have been something that would have been um, maybe diagnosed like it would be now or mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, but, and I think I knew how to play the game of school enough to know how to not get in trouble with all of that. <laughs> but just, and then noticing Um, myself as I got older, even just watching a movie or sitting in a church service or something like that, how I just had this, um, I just feel driven to like make my thinking visible. And even if I'm on an airplane and I am reading something, I don't feel complete unless I also have my notebook or my iPad so that Mm -hmm. I can show my thinking. It's like, I think author Kylie Beers talks about genre reformulation in in one of her books, (laughs) and it's sort of like that. Like, I need to reformulate what I just was thinking about or what I just read, or I feel like it's going to just be gone. And I, I know from just talking with colleagues who've used sketchnoting in their classrooms, they teach their kids about the features of sketchnoting, give their kids opportunities to try it. They realize, just like we all do when, when teaching a, a new strategy or trying something out with our students, it's not, it's not for everybody. And um, uh, one of my colleagues, Heidi, who, um, Heidi Weber, who yes. teaches in Loveland, you might the know Heidi. She, um, she even gave a survey to her students last year about sketchnoting. And I don't have it right in front of me. It was something like, you know, 85% of the kids said, yeah, I'm totally going to use this again, like yes. even outside of school. And then some students were like, you know, I'm, I tried it out. I just don't think it's for me. So I think that's something I haven't written about yet in my book, but I need to include. So thanks for letting me think that ah, out loud. Well, good. Yeah, right yeah. Um, it's just how important <laughs> it is to attach this to choice. Yeah. Um, to allow kids to learn about it and know that this is this is for real. It's not just fluff. It's not just drawing. Um, that there's research behind it, and mm-hmm. there's lots of reasons why it can benefit you. It can make it can make what you read stickier. You're going to comprehend it more. It can keep your focus. You know, there's all these good things about it.
of us and how many students would grow to like mind mapping and sketch noting more if we had more time to practice and get good at it? Uh-huh. And I, I want, I, well, I guess what I'm wondering is how much of the kids who didn't like mind mapping was just because it was a little bit hard to, they don't feel confident or, or happy with their yeah, artistic well, abilities. That's and if true. they, that could be. if they might like it more as they practice more. Mm-hmm. So I guess. Yeah, I was just in an eighth grade classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. Tuesday, this past Tuesday, and um, the teacher reached out to me and just said, "You know, I've got a group of kids who um, just seem to really appreciate it whenever they get the chance to do something that's a little um, out of the ordinary or approach something in a more." creative way and she said i just think they would really love to be introduced to sketching so let's launch it together so there were three of us in the classroom um somebody from the curriculum department was there and the eighth grade ela teacher and myself and we um we just started from the beginning like i really talked with those eighth graders the same way i would if i was with a group of teachers we we sort of built the case at the beginning and looked at a couple pieces of research and then we looked at examples across grade levels and then we spent most of the bell just trying it out um and two of the teachers in the room had chart paper up on the wall they were showing the kids how they aren't you know the best visual artist in the world Mm. and they were using stick people and quick little symbols and sketches and and so i think that was good for the kids to see these imperfect examples Mm -hmm. being made so public you know um so then we um we looked at a piece of nonfiction text we looked at a quick video clip from npr that was about the same topic um we looked at some of the easy features of sketch noting that can really um boost your ability to make it visual on the page and and you know here again like I'm, I'm in this classroom of eighth graders I think maybe there were two students I had worked with before so I don't have relationship with these kids mm-hmm. um, but most kids were so willing to jump right in and give it a try uh, if I, I think about like if I had gone in there with the same piece of text the same little video and I was you know, requiring them to do some more traditional note-taking, that would have been so interesting to see Mm -hmm. how many of them were so would have been receptive and willing to try it. You know, I I really don't think it would have been um, the same um, just joyful atmosphere (laughs) that it was with, with trying this out. And uh, a lot of kids were so proud of what they did at the end of the bell. They wanted to know, do you need any photographs, you know, to show with uh, to other people? We're taking lots of pictures. Um, so I think it's just, you know, like so many things. Like it's, it's so much about the launching of it. And so we did it in just a relaxed kind of way mm-hmm. and talked about how, like, this is an option. This is a possibility for you. You can carry this with you your whole live-long life. Like, going into high school, there are going to be lots of times when you're going to need to, like, make something meaningful, especially it might not even feel very meaningful or you mm-hmm. might not be interested in the topic, but this could come in handy. And so I think they saw a reason for it and... Plus, just having colored pens on all the desks, like, so you can refuse that, so <laughs> How How have you noticed that sketchnoting, since you've started sketchnoting, how have you noticed how the way it affects your thinking and learning? Mm-hmm. Well, I know that, you know, I've always been a notebook or journal keeper, so I've got 
dozens of notebooks that I have on my shelves at home and I can go back and you know gosh if I went to a Stephanie Harvey workshop let's say mm-hmm. in 2003 I can look back at my notes and I can remember the important things that she said and I can see like little quotations I wrote down and things like that um but I wasn't sketch noting so much then I was doing a lot more like what we see in some of our students like trying to capture as much off of the PowerPoint slide as I could while it was up yeah. on the screen, yeah. you know, writing furiously to try to get it all. And then later asking somebody else, what did she say exactly? And, um, I think now I'm much, um, more willing to relax a little bit and just be constantly looking for, and I talk about this in the book somewhat, just, you know, just following what's interesting to me, like trusting myself to follow what I think is interesting. And then also, if there's something obviously important to the author or the speaker or the artist, then I want to capture that as well. But um, letting letting my curiosities and interests and passions direct my notes, that makes it so much more meaningful. So now when I look back over the last few years and look at my sketchnoted notebooks mm-hmm. or, you know, the digital images that I've been saving. Um, it just feels to me like there's a lot more emotion that accompanies those notes that's still there when I look back. Um, so I think, you know, there's research to tell us that we remember a lot more. Um, Jackie Andrade's study told us that we remember around 29% more if we listen or read with pen in hand. And I, I, completely believe that i mean i was just so happy when i read that study some years ago um i think it's called what can doodling do mm-hmm. um but i experience it every day i mean even yesterday was um world sketch noting day and mm-hmm. so i devoted a bunch of tweets last night to just this topic and was retweeting out a lot of digital sketch notes that i had created and just looking back at those I remembered things that I maybe learned a year ago that I thought I'll never forget that. Like it's so meaningful. Mm-hmm. And I look back in my sketch noted notebook and think I haven't even thought about that all year. Um, but because I have symbols and I made intentional decisions about how I wanted to take notes about it, it, it just all comes back to me like a flood. Mm. It, what you're saying is, it's giving me a little bit of an epiphany. A while back, I listened to the Freakonom- a Freakonomics podcast, and they were, I think that's what it was, and they were talking about a research study where they were uh, studying people with laptops who were taking notes versus people with uh, pen and paper who were taking notes. And the people with pen and paper were dr- doing dramatically better on comprehension tests afterward, or memory tests, I, one of those two. And they were trying to figure out why, and basically their their reason why is not stunning. It was because they're having to summarize um, yeah. what the speaker's saying, because you can't, like if you're typing, you can just get it all down. But when you're writing, you have to sum- summarize, which means you have to comprehend, which means your brain's doing more thinking. But when you put that kind of on, on performance-enhancing drugs when you're sketchnoting, one, you're relaxing, <laughs> which is the ideal frame of mind for learning. Um, two you're following what's interesting. So not only are you comprehending, you're evaluating it. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and, so and it's connected to an emotion to... too, which makes it even more sticky in the memory because you have that positive feeling that goes mm-hmm. with it. And I think Heidi Weber told me when I interviewed her about visual note-taking, about sketchnoting, oh, I can't remember, multimodal maybe was the word she used? Mm, Getting yeah. it with your eyes and with the... 
your analytical part where you're writing it? Yeah, there's a in in Sunny Brown's TED Talk. Um, she has a quick little image about that that's really good, worth watching. <laughs> Sunny Brown. Okay, so you got yeah, through the and heavy what stuff. What you just said, like, just made me start thinking about well, how you know the the first things that I ever started writing about really were the proficient reader strategies and about how determining importance and synthesizing are two of the strategies that are sometimes tough to teach and sometimes tough for kids to learn. And those, just like you, you just said it, like those are the things that you're, you're asking your brain to do when you sketch note. Um, you know, it's like, you've got this big buffet of information and you're having to make the best choices, um, to capture in your notes and you're having to, paraphrase and translate you know what you're hearing and your listening comprehension to some kind of visual symbol so it, it's it's those tough strategies um you're you know asking yourself to do that um continually so it's really a, a workout for your brain McGregor. She's just so awesome. She's so smart, so thoughtful. She was doing mindfulness before mindfulness was cool. She was doing sketchnoting before sketchnoting was cool. She made sketchnoting cooler. Anyway, it was just so awesome to interview her. It was so awesome for me years later to get to look back at this interview that these words that would eventually find their way into the book, Ink and Ideas. And from these interviews, Tani, I've become really good friends with Tani McGregor. She's just such an awesome, thoughtful person. And I'm really glad we were able to present this interview in partnership with Octella. Speaking of Octella, be sure to check out how you can become involved with the organization by going to octella.org, O-C-T-E-L-A.org. We have information about them in our show notes. And of course, make sure that you Uh, Look into how you can become more involved with the Ohio Writing Project. Just Google Ohio Writing Project or check out our show notes. We want you, really thoughtful, really amazing, dynamic teachers, to be involved with the Ohio Writing Project because that's who Ohio Writing Project is. Anyway, this is the end of our summer series. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, We still have a few more Octella episodes in the vault that we hope to release sometime throughout the year or maybe next summer. Um, So stay tuned as we get ready to jump into the maybe not the weirdest school year, but probably second or third weirdest school year of our careers. Now that we're in our second ish year of COVID stuff, I want to wish you all the best. Good luck. And yeah, keep writing. Oh, and before I forget, thanks for tuning in to Write Answers. (laughs) 